You're listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast, discussing all aspects of precision and long-range rifle shooting. This episode is brought to you by Projectile Warehouse. Find your perfect projectile. And now, over to your hosts. Well, hello and welcome to the Precision Shooting Podcast. This is a continuation of last uh, week's episode. So this is episode number 31, and uh, same guys, uh, Andrew and Greg, and myself, Rusty. And uh, anyway, we'll jump back into the listener questions, so here we go. Cool, Greg, this is a short question. Do you want to ask this one? Yeah, I can read short stuff. Um, just wondering, if you could point me in the right direction, I'm looking to do some reloading and was wondering what would be a good kit that has everything I need to start reloading, any help would be be great and that's from Tyson cool Tyson cheers everyone's looking at me all right um yeah there's there's no end of of options in terms of reloading kits to start with you've got things from the Lee kits um, which is the like breech lock kit which will start around the 270 ish dollars but sort of under 300 bucks generally speaking and they include most things in there actually you get a fair bit for your money but they're not the best quality kit. So it depends. If you're loading 100 rounds a year, they're probably going to do your job. But if you're going to load 1,000 rounds a year, you're going to perhaps wear that out quicker than, than normal. So just jump in there, yep. Sam. Is From your experience, is that reliability in terms of you know being able to pump out rounds or is it also the consistency side of things that you found just a little bit? I've seen good rounds loaded on those lead kits. Yeah. Um, I have seen parts break after oh, okay. after use, if that yep. makes sense. So, yep. you know, from my experience, and, and people will hopefully chime in with theirs, but with those sort of cheaper kits, it's usually the longevity of them that suffers Fair more enough. so than perhaps the round quality. Um, yep. But that's um, that's anecdotal. Um, we've not done a te- specific testing on that question. No, fair enough. Yep. I guess um, what Tyson doesn't say is budget. Um it's a question that, you know, if we knew what kind of dollars we're talking, it would Im- immediately, you know, discount or could immediately discount a number of options. Yeah, well, moving up from that one, you sort of got into the Hornady and moving into the Reading and RCBS sort of stuff, and they'll sort of figure around the five, six, and then through up to about $1,000 worth. And then, you know, the, you've got the option of putting together your own kit as well. Yeah, I, I guess if, you know, there's a couple of things that, you know, again, price but also I said volume that he's looking at loading would be you know fairly important issues here mm. um you know if he's he wants to pump a lot of rounds out then you got to look at I wouldn't necessarily recommend a kit if you're going to go lots and lots of reloading because you find stuff like that you won't necessarily use a lot like manual trimmers True. and yeah. you know beam scales and that sort of thing you will quickly put them away as you upgrade to automated well not automated but quicker options Certainly, which is yeah. certainly you know what I experienced years what, ago. What do you go around the room? What are you running, Andrew, for your reloading press and such? I use a RCBS press, um, single stage press. Yeah, I'm not talking enormous volume, but I found it strong and consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, that would probably be the only piece of original equipment out of a kit that I would use. Yep, um, well, I, I do use. You know, I've I've since gotten rid of it's said beam scales and powder tricklers and, and that sort of thing. Go on to other options. Very recently for the powder trickler. Yeah. 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 Passing like on to Greg tonight. tonight. 
<laughs> it's not gold plated though. So, um, but anyway, next week it will be. But uh, yeah, so I found over the years I, I, you know, did away with various pieces of the kits. However, you know, if somebody's getting into reloading to start with, the kit's probably handy and that they've got everything there. Yeah, it's a good way. They're not going to be wanting. I mean, they have to get a few different things, like you know, shell holders for, you know, applicable to their applications and that sort of thing. But uh, hmm. besides a shell holder and a die set, most of these kits will allow you to get your ammo loaded, basically. Yep. Um, what about you, Greg? What are you running? Yeah, I I started off with the RCBS kit. Was it? Yep. Yeah, I don't know what the kit's called, um, but that came with everything: the press, you know, the scales, pretty much everything I needed, except as Andrew mentioned, um, dies and and shell holders. But yeah, that got me going. That got me going, and um, just over time, I've just slowly either upgraded the quality of. The tools, or I've got something that's quicker, and 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 you know I've been upgrading, I, I guess now for the last sort of th- three years, just yeah. changing stuff out, so uh, and just improving the quality of of I guess my loads. But that's been a really good kit. I've been really happy with it. Um, really consistent. Um, yeah, absolutely no complaints at all. Yeah, nice. Mm. Well, one thing I would add, whatever option he decides to go for, or whatever his application is, I, I would say buy the best you can afford. Yeah, good point. Um, you know, you don't hear of people breaking RCBS presses. No. Generally. No, not usually. Yeah, uh, but no. I mean, so from that point of view, yes, you might spend a bit more. Certainly in this sort of application, I would say get the best you can afford. Yeah, see, I've got the, the, the luxury of using all the Impact Dynamics gear, so I've got in this room a uh, rock chucker, the RCBS one, the Lee Bench uh, Breach Lock, the Forster coaxial and a, a Dillon 650, as well as a, down at Kai Kai, we've got a RCBS Summit. Um, so get to play with lots of different stuff, and I generally do find myself either at that Rock Chucker or the um, Forster. Um, some stuff the Forster doesn't fit on, or I might be too lazy to change over the shell plates for it, so um, I, I might just throw myself on the Rock Chucker. But um, yeah, I've, I've certainly would would. See if you can afford it. That rock chucker is a minimum, now, or the Reading equivalent. I think the Reading one's a really good one. The Big Boss, um, as well. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. pay a bit more up front, but you'll probably, yeah, reap the rewards in years to come. Yeah, definitely. And, and I'll just add, yeah, as, as you're saying there, Andrew, good move, Tyson, because um, you know going to reloading is like entering the world of accuracy because. Uh, Everything changes at that point. You start to get some more impressive groups, and it enables you to reach out a lot further and a lot more consistency. So it's 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 a really positive move in the right direction. Yeah, but if you're going to pick up one of those Lee kits, and that's going to start your reloading three years earlier than if you were going to save up for an RCBS, get it. Yeah, yeah, jump on. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, because you're better you know to get that experience and learn and and get stuck into it, and then. By the time you get through those three years, you'll have a bit of extra money and you'll go, right, I don't like this part of it, I like this part of it, and you'll upgrade what bits you wish to. Mm, absolutely. Very good. Um, Greg, this is probably a question for you as well, next one. <laughs> Twist rate. That's right, uh, rally. Oh, here we go. I was going to ask issues of a faster twist rate on lighter projectiles. When does twist rate become too fast and unstable when trying for that all-rounder? Paul, thanks for the question, Paul. This could create a few discussions, I think, this one. I think you're right. 
I guess let's start the first one now. Well, I guess um, you know we discussed this briefly pre-show about um, you know personal experiences and also what you know uh, Brian Litz touches on this issue. My personal experience with this is I attempted what well, I built a two four three Ackley improved years ago, and I uh, had intention of running light bullets like fifty five to fifty eight grain bullets. I wanted to run them fast. Yep. I made the mistake of using a one in ten twist barrel. Now, I, I, no matter what I did with this gun, I couldn't get it to shoot, you know, under half inch. You know, it was half to three quarters, and it, I tried everything. Tried four or five different powders. I tried four different projectiles. I tried multiple seating depths. I tried everything you could think of. I put 500 rounds through it, and it would not do anything different. And then I thought, well, I'll just try some heavier bullets because this isn't working. Yep. I put some 88-grain burger high BC flat base projectiles through it and the first group was like 0.15 of an inch just through the same hole effectively and that was without any load development so certainly for that rifle it, far, fast twist barrel with light bullets it didn't perform hmm. however that's only one rifle this is true I guess we um you know, looked at the what the Lids book said on it the modern advancements in long range shooting volume one because um, he tested this very thing and and tested stability that that stability was was um, was actually good. You know, the faster you tw- you you twisted, it was uh, maintained a higher f- uh, stability factor, and that was good to get your projectiles a long way down range. But then there he went on to test that there is actually what well, there can be a correlation back to group size, so. Um, over-stabilisation or very fast stabilisation can lead to re- reduction in group size. Um, or there is some correlation. An increase in group size. An increase, yeah. Sorry, any reduction in desired uh, group size. So an increase in group size. Um, there can be sometimes a strong correlation, a weak correlation, but it seems that there is consistently a correlation between the two. But then again, you've got to, you know, if you're shooting, you know, still quite well, but you're trying to go further... Perhaps a faster twist rate is is the, the benefits of a better stability is it outweighs that slightly larger group size you're getting. Having said that, though, if you if your aim is to shoot long distance, you're not going to be shooting light bullets. Generally speaking, no. I mean, their sort of efficiency in flights nowhere near what a heavier, more streamlined bullet is. So yeah. interesting because it just I guess a clarified point with that um, stability doesn't mean accuracy. A bullet can be yeah, well yep. and truly yep. stable, like we just discussed, but it's got not a lot to do with accuracy. Once a bullet is stable, it's you know you can over over stabilize it if you like. It's yeah. not going to sort of all of a sudden go unstable when it reaches a certain point. Yep. Um, so yeah, to I guess directly answer Paul's question from what we can read and research and um, Andrew's experience with that one, um, we don't take Greg's experience on twist rates at all. Come on. <laughs> um, and, and, and look, can I just say to Paul, there's also a twist rate calculator on the burger site. So if he goes there and has a look, you can actually run 
any of the burger projectiles and the twist rate that you think you're going to use and it'll tell you whether it stabilizes whether it's marginally stabilized and how that manifests and a lot of the understabilized stuff which i'm experiencing with 105 grain <laughs> target hybrids is a, you, you either a slight or a great reduction in your bc so you, you sacrifice some bc so i'm marginally stable with mine i didn't quite get enough twists um i think i needed uh, 7.75 and i've got an eight um, and just that small amounts put me in the marginal and I'm losing 3% BC. So it, it's a really useful uh, tool to just go in there and just play with some numbers and understand the effect of the different elements like muzzle velocity and twist rate. And also underneath the final result, it has other burger options that would be stabilized with the same numbers. So you can sort of mm. go, all right, well, if that one's not stabilized, I can let's run this projectile. Yeah, I mean, there's no um, sort of, hard and fast this will work this won't work because i i used to run a 22 br and uh, i was using i had a one in nine twist on that and i was using well in originally intended to use 75 grain amaxes and they should have been very marginal if not unstable but yet they were perfectly you know they were certainly stable and they were extremely accurate Mm. um you know, had I dropped the velocity a couple hundred feet a second, maybe it might not have been, but... Well, that, that's it. You know, although I've said that about the 105s, like, we did post up one of my test groups, which was really tight. Um, I got out to, was it almost 800? Um, dead centre right on um, elevation. Pretty yeah. much dead centre. So, you know, that 3% not really manifesting itself in a in a meaningful way at the moment. But, um, no. yeah, it's shooting, so... Just a, a quick point, I guess, in regards to this issue as well. Uh, a factor that could play a part is the yep. projectiles themselves. As far as if you've got inconsistencies or oh yeah, fair point. Yeah, you know, or you know imperfections in the jacket or that sort of thing. The faster you spin it, that can be accentuated, which which may account for the sort of trend that you see as far as slightly larger group sizes. Yep. A possibility, so and it would yeah, be well, projectile dependent. Yeah, it's definitely. It's brought up in I think Litz's first book on twist rates. He yeah. he puts most of the fast, you know, t- twisting those lighter bullets um, more down to inconsistencies in the jackets and production than he does anything else. Um, but I'm not sure what's in his second book on twist rate. I haven't read that that particular one. I think there was some slight variances, but anyway, yeah, that's that's what I read in the first one. And I've seen projectiles fly apart in flight. Um, some manufacturers list recommended maximum velocities. Mm. Uh, I've seen, you know, the faster you, you're twisting it, obviously, the more stress you've got. You've got good eyes if you can see that, mate. I certainly can. Well, actually, it's actually quite visible. I've seen literally grey-looking vapour trails yeah, right. out to the target and nothing making it past about 100 metres. We're going to have to do that one day. I haven't seen that. <laughs> yeah, it's doable. Let's yep. get some yep. spear... TNTs probably they they list their maximum velocity which should be better. Sounds so. Punch that, yeah. And Wonderful. Well, there's nothing particularly dangerous, but yeah. So as long as you stand behind the gun, Greg. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you should be right. Greg wouldn't have that issue because his barrel's not fast enough twist to do that to a bullet. But <laughs> uh, that's all right. Well, Paul, uh, yeah, it's, it doesn't seem to be any issue with um, overstabilizing um, too much. Uh, the only issue that can happen is if you don't quite get the right twist rate. You cry yourself to sleep every night. Isn't that right, Greg? Not quite. <laughs> but All I might right. need a hug later. Okay. 
I'm sure Paul can coordinate that for you. All right, excellent. So uh, on to our last question, and this is a little bit of a um, a throw, and this is from Butters up in NT uh, from the Practical Rifle crew up there. Uh, this is regarding barricade shooting. This is a question slash discussion point for the podcast. Want to hear your thoughts on shooting off a barricade? Now, this can be applied in the field, whether it be off a fence post, car window, or a tree. What would be the key things you would keep in mind while utilizing such a rest? He goes on to say, I'm fairly confident in my technique, but I thought I'd put it to you fellas. And feel free to put my thoughts in after you've discussed it. Well, let's bring them right in now, butters, uh, to compare your thoughts to mine. Essentially, I've found that if you own a heavier gun, like his rifle, which is an AIAX, it's best to try and balance that rifle so you aren't holding up too much of the weight. Whereas if you own a much lighter rifle, it seems best to lean the gun I lean into the gun and subsequently put more force on the barricade or the improvised rest. These are certainly my personal thoughts, and people may find it easier one way or the other. Something for you guys to ponder about. Uh, also, to add to his thoughts, he does say the more points of contact you can make with the ground rifle or barricade or rest, the more stable you will be. Yeah, I mean, I would, I'd personally, I'd agree with everything he's, he's said here, and I found sort of personal experience, and also you look at what's becoming predominant in the you know the PRS type competitions guys are using bags that are like front bags strapped to the the fore end of their rifle yeah so if they're forced to shoot from a barricade which is you know a lot of the stages are instead of just resting on a stock that might only be say two inches wide and hard mm-hmm. they've got a, a wider more stable platform for it to actually rest on so that sort of certainly goes in with what Butters has said here so I would agree with him thoughts guys yeah, we've we've been doing some research and practice on this stuff um, at the moment. Now, it doesn't it doesn't put it the same point here. So, I'm not sure if he's changed it. But last time I spoke with him, when he was down here, um, he was talking about with oh, I'm going to get this wrong, but I think with the heavier rifle, he was sort of putting the the weight balance a little more even across the barricade, so you'd have a bit more weight forward, a bit more weight back. And for that, for me, that doesn't work because. I get a lot of instability with the rifle wanting to rock forward and back because the weights, particularly if you end up with that weight sort of on the centre. Now, he, this has changed a little bit to the, the way he put it across to me then, and that was a number of months ago. So um, maybe he's changed his sort of setup. But um, if you get that weight central on the rifle, you've got sort of you know equal weight forward, equal weight back. It rocks quite a bit, quite too easily. You pull it back a little bit, so you've still got the majority of the weight on the back half, but you've got a good rest on the front. It seems to work a little bit better for me um, and a couple of guys who have been sort of trying that through. Is that uh, utilising any kind of bag on the rifle or is that resting the rifle directly on the barricade? Bag or um, or direct, it, the, the principle remains the same where you've got sort of, if you've got half and half weight, it, it, it has a bit of sort of movement in it. Pull it back a little bit so you at least got this centre of gravity back with you and you you can lean into the barricade or keep that, you know, you can keep the weight on the barricade um, or on whatever, whatever is you're rest, uh, resting on, the, the tree or anything. Um, yeah, and I, I just, I find it easy to bring it up onto target. I guess that does make a bit of sense when you look at uh, a lot of the, the F-class shooters, you know, yep. purpose-built F-class rifles got very long forend so that. I guess effectively the the point that is rested is yep. right at the front, like as far forward as they can go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I prefer that sort of way. 
um, myself. I agree with his last point there. The more point of contacts you can make with the ground, uh, rifle or the barricade is good. Um, but I think that needs to go hand in hand with stable points of contact. Um, so I think, you know, you try and anything that's loose, if you've got an arm out or anything like that, if you can get that rested in, I'm, I'm doing actions that no one can see. Um, but okay. <laughs> good, I'm glad you guys will get it. But if you've got an elbow that's out sort of off the side of the gun, you can lean that into a knee or edge of your body or anything like that. The more stable positions you can make, um, the better it seems that you shoot. What's your thoughts on, on the light rifle issue? Because it's yeah. using the wrong gun, no. Um, <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I think, uh, well, look, I've found the principles to. to work the same way whether it be light or heavy um still want to be as many points as you can still want to be leaning into that barricade be able to put the weight where you can handle it comfortably um and also keeping we did we did one um experiment the other the other week and we we were shooting um off a off, off a rest you made that tree type one um one that Andrew made, and, and it's quite unstable itself. Um, doesn't sit flat um, in, intentionally, and so we found that actually putting some pressure on the scope, on the top of the scope, significantly improved um, consistency on target. Um, and so, and that was you know sort of particularly using a lighter gun um, as you, uh, that that sort of helped. But it, the principles seem to be the same across both guns: a lighter gun and a heavy gun. Yeah, I think sort of. <coughs> whatever rifle it is you're shooting whatever position you're shooting the the actual position of the rifle is sort of somewhat secondary to your body i mean if you're sitting down and your body is stable it's a lot easier to hold a rifle stable against the rest than if you're standing up for example so yeah we see we see a lot with you know particularly guys who are brand new into shooting um they they're comfortable with this sorry they're not comfortable and they're trying to get themselves aligned around around the rifle. We've actually been working on some drills to make guys um, have a, a process that they go through so that they can they can basically make that rifle go where they want it or they have to make it go where they want it because so many people, particularly first few times they get behind the rifle, will often sort of skew their body around to try and get wherever the rifle's sitting rested or whatever it is so sort of the wrong application in my opinion where you want to get yourself where you need to be and put the rifle there rather than putting the rifle somewhere and getting yourself wrapped around uh, accordingly depends on your barricade and your situation i'm guessing uh, greg your a lot of your previous sort of rifle shooting experiences hunting in the field so improvised rests are probably quite familiar to you yeah i yeah, look, look, the barricade style of shooting, I'll, I'll say, is not not massively familiar to me. And and when Butters went round on the uh, one of the Precision Rifle Invitational a number of months back, after I was the RO on the level stand, and, and Butters actually run me through this very um, stuff where he's talking about heavy rifle balance, light rifle, and it, when I was watching him, I was physically watching him do it on the as he was talking me through it. And I thought, gee, that's really good information. Um, and you know, I'm keen to try it now. Obviously, you know, um, uh, uh, Sam's had a go, and you know, he's got a preference for a different style. But geez, it made perfect sense when he was, when he was running it uh, through with me, and I'm keen to give it a go. But um, I, I, you know, I apologise if I'm wrong, butters, but I'm pretty sure you're running a patrol sling as well when you when you showed me. But um, 
but yeah, it, it did make perfect sense, and um, it looked to be a pretty stable position on the day. So, but yeah, I haven't really got extensive experience to really say whether it, it's good or bad. I'd, I'd just be keen to try it because it made a lot of sense. I think it's one of those personal preference things, if, to a fair degree as well. Mm. I mean, there's yeah, good right. shooters who use a variety of techniques. So, mm. it depends on the application. I mean, if you're hunting, you'll do everything you can to put yourself in the ideal position rather than using a a less than ideal position. Yep. You know, if there's a fence post there or you can lie prone, well, yep. you're not going to shoot off the mm. fence post, are you, unless you have to. Yep. Whereas, you know, for these these PRS-type matches, often you're not given the choice, so... Well, you're often not in, in hunting situations, you know. You, you, True. You, you may not get the opportunity to low down and take yourself prone. You've got to run at the fence post and take the shot because otherwise the, the pig's gone, mm. depending on what you're shooting. True. Well, if it's a pig, the pig would be gone. Yeah. Well, you're, well, yeah, you're right. You're right. But, you know, <laughs> fine. Anyway, whichever way you want to shoot, that's as long as we get the pig, I don't really care. Oh, good. I'm sure Butters shoots more of them than we do. Yeah, that's um, probably true, unfortunately. So one one more question. Yeah, one more question from me to you two, and that is... Oh, this will be serious. Oh, this is serious stuff. <laughs> Put your serious hat on. So I went and did the load testing on my 6x47, right? And I hit a lovely little node at 38 grains. What I'm, method did you use out of interest? I, well... What people... Sorry, it was your question. Sorry. No, yes, yes. You Be quiet, audience, Sorry. and listen. So um, I got this really tight group at 38 grains, which is right at the rock bottom of the powder range, which I was using for 2209. I guess what my question is, is although now <laughs> I got 2840 feet per second, and I was hoping to get up around the 3000. Now, if I change just powder and leave everything the same, would you expect a node shift of a reasonable margin or would you expect that the node would not shift all that much because it's similar construction, similar jump, well, the same jump, the same construction projectile? Have you guys got experience with node shift on just changing powder? It. It, I think it would shift, um, whether it's to a noticeable degree, I mm. don't know. Because if you've got two different powders, for example, and you're getting the same velocity out of them with with everything else being the same, obviously, except the powder and the charge weight, maybe, mm. they're not necessarily going to have the same node in that the powder can have different burn characteristics. Yeah, and that's... So that, sort of that resonation in the barrel could be different. Mm. Having said that, I... If you were to go with a different powder, you're obviously trying to chase a little bit more velocity. Yeah, I was just thought, well, you know, there's no harm in doing another test set just to see whether, you know, there is a shift, whether it's a beneficial shift. You know, that's that's a whole other question. But I'm just thinking, yeah, if I can gain another, you know, 100 feet per second, 200 feet per second would be nice. But, yep. but um, you know, I don't want to be muzzle velocity chasing either. I do like to chase my nodes and stick on nodes. But... Um, I'm just wondering whether it's a worthwhile exercise in in your experience, if you've had any experience with. Did Did you get a second node at all? Did you get a sort of no, a high... no second node, no. No, did you go sort of up to the top? Or I went. You... I went till pressure signs stopped me. Okay. Yeah. Yep. yep. So, so that's the limit of what you can achieve with that powder. With that powder, yeah, yeah. So you know, it's that whole question of is the node tied to muzzle velocity, or is the node 
sort of a combination of muzzle velocity and burn rate of the powder and how much is that variance. Now, you know, if we can't answer that tonight, if you guys don't have that experience, maybe we, you know, our listeners could could uh, chime in on Facebook. But, yeah, Andrew, shoot. I, I think there's a lot of issues that, you know, determine where you find that node of accuracy. Mm. And I, in, in this particular case, I would think it's probably beneficial to try different powders because, you know, I've found with, with various guns, um, you know, might not, like, well, with the 300 Win Mag, for example, is a prime case of this. I tried uh, double two two five, and I tried Reloaded 25, mm. and then I tried Vitaveri N1 uh, N570, and all were sort of at the maximum of, of recommended charge weights, and the Vitaveri was 150 feet a second faster yep. than the other two powders. Mm. Um, equal accuracy. And that was without a real lot of load development, and you know there was no pressure signs for any of them. Yep. So... You know, with nothing more than a powder change, that was the the gain I got. So, I would say definitely, if you're trying to chase closer to three thousand, which is certainly achievable mm. with that cartridge and you know your barrel length and that sort of thing, I'd be trying, well, possibly some slower powders. Um, whether you can then fit enough of it in the case to give you the velocity you want, yeah, that I'd be trying it though for sure. Yeah, you know, there's no harm in trying, is there? Are you? Is it a principal thing, or does it have a, an an application? If you knew that it was a similar node at similar velocity, that wouldn't necessarily help you because you'd be looking for a different velocity anyway, wouldn't you? Yeah. So if the node, if I was going to try a different powder and the node was in a very similar muzzle velocity area, I wouldn't even bother. Um, sure. Yeah. But, but no, if, well, in my experience, yeah, definitely change your powder. Try something different mm. at least, because I've I've you know one particular gun I can think of. I was running. One powder, and no matter what I did projectile-wise, it was rubbish. You know, the groups were just terrible. Yep. They were consistently terrible. They barely shifted, um, even mm. changing powder loads. Changed the powder out, and it just it shrunk. And like, the baseline shrunk, and then it got really good for some stuff as well. Yeah. And then you could actually see the node sort of uh, peering through the, the ladder test. Mm-hmm. And so well and truly worthwhile doing. Yeah. And, and given the fact that you did go up to the stage where you were seeing pressure signs with that powder, I think it's a pretty clear indication that because you didn't find another accuracy node at those kind of higher levels, that that's really probably not the powder that's going to be the one you use. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there are others I'd probably just sort of... Personally, I would try slightly slower again, if you could. I know there are sort of multiple options, but I guess availability is a problem, but... Uh, yeah, US. I've just been, you know, in the US. The you know when you when you um, look at Australian equivalents, six by forty seven mainly been using twenty two oh nine, which is what I did this test on, yeah. and and twenty two oh eight. So I might drop down to twenty two oh eight and give that a run. Yeah, um, I mean that it's worth a try. Mm. You, you want to be a little careful, obviously, and it, it's a faster powder, so you, you could get pressure spikes with it. Yeah. I'd I'd be also inclined to try slower. Like I'd go with maybe double two one three SC. Okay. I okay. don't think you'd be able to put enough of that in there to get to the stage of excessive pressure. Mm. But uh, I'd be probably inclined to try that if you could find a small amount without having to go and get a whole tub. I might even have some if you want some, Greg. See. Sounds like a challenge. I have to give it a go. Just yeah. uh, might be something worth reporting back on just to see yeah. if we we get much of a shift. Um, Absolutely. With, with everything staying, everything else staying consistent. Yeah. 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 
Very good. Well, guys, is that, is that all the questions or have we got? I think so. But oh, no, I'm going to come back to you. What was your load, what load development um, style did you use for that? Um, I don't know. Well, I call it a ladder test, but I don't think it's a, a true definition of a ladder test. Basically, five-round groups, um, point two, yeah, point two grain increments from minimum yep. to, well, I did 38 grains to 41 grains. Yep. Um, and I got to 40.4 and started to see some consistent signs. pressure signs, so I stopped there. Um, and the best group was the very first one at 38 grains. Yeah. yeah, right. Yep. So that was, yeah, that was pretty tight. That was good. Very good. Mm. Cool. Excellent, guys. Well, um, we, apart from our question from Greg and uh, perhaps that question from Butters, because, uh, you know, he uh, runs enough comps, um, we've got to choose a couple of these guys to get um, prizes, because this will be the, um, well, this is actually going to end up, well, this end up being two episodes, so um, we've got to give two, two prizes away. So, um, guys, what were your favourite questions in there? I like the uh, stability question from Paul, personally. Yep. Greg? Greg's thinking. Doesn't want to get this wrong like his Yeah, I'll, I'll go the mill MOA. The mill MOA question. Yeah, from that was, that was it's my, very, very common. That was my second suggestion, so... Yeah, no, very good guys. Well, uh, well, Hamish and Paul, you've won yourself a uh, precision ro- uh, precision rifle products load right kit. The last ones we have, so um, we'll get them out to you. And uh, thanks very much for all those guys who sending questions. Um, please still keep the questions coming. We haven't got anything to give you anymore, but maybe someone else will give us something to give away. So, um, but we always you know like to uh, to see what you guys are, are asking and. Uh, if you want to chime in on any of those topics we discussed, because um, there's certainly more advice and knowledge out there, uh, we'd love to be able to share that with uh, our listeners as well and also for uh, us to learn from. That would be excellent. So, uh, guys, thanks for coming in tonight. And uh, are you guys going to get out shooting in the next week or so? Certainly hope to, but not <laughs> looking too always, hopeful. Always hope to. Yeah, no, this is Sunday. Hopefully I'll get out and have a, a bit of a look for some deer. Hopefully. Yep. Yeah. So Yeah, I've got to uh got to start up a new scope that I had come in. Or a second hand scope, a little Vortex PST. So gonna throw that on something and um and see what we can do with it. You are uh, gonna use your six mil on the deer, correct? Well I can now. It's uh sided in and um Well, I guess it's just the questionable ethical issue of a target projectile on deer. Um No, shoot it. Yeah, but well, I'll, I'll I'll see. I'll see. I don't know. My my two four three is all geared up, good to go. Um, yeah, that two four three is humming. Yeah, it's humming. The distances are about right for where I'm shooting. Um, I'm just doing cross cross one gully, so it's it's fairly um, sort of two hundred to four hundred maybe. Yeah. Um, so it's it's pretty pretty ideal for the two four three. The reason I say shoot it was that the, the deer you're going to be shooting, they're fallow deer. They're oh. very thin skin, light boned. You're within a yeah. within a few hundred meters generally, so Yeah, I mean that yeah. that projectile would be a pretty good killer on those deer. Yeah, so. I have very little doubt it'll put them down clean. Yeah. Oh absolutely. I mean if you're shooting Samba deer or something like that, I'd say no, but <laughs> yeah. I think you know, at five hundred meters on one of those deer, that projectile would be pretty devastating. Oh, actually in in the tail end of this, what we covered in the last podcast that didn't end up happening 
um, which we probably should do just for for Greg Greg's sake. Um, the last one that w- would have gone up since uh, since these ones came out was the one from the Flinders. And in that Flinders episode, you said your record was 630 metres, but you smashed that the next yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the way we ended that podcast is that, that uh, Dan had a hunch. and That's all right. We are going to go up and look over the top of the ridgeline. Um, we expected to see a nice flat opening with good observation, but instead we saw another ridgeline and another ridgeline and <laughs> thought, you know, that might take us most of the day to... Some more practice for it. ...to have a look perhaps. over the top. Yeah. <laughs> but while we were sitting there after the first hill, we, you know, we saw some goats at, um, well, it was 700, 800 metres, yep. uh, two gullies away, and, yeah, had a crack at that and got one, yeah, pretty, uh, very clean little drop at... Yeah, yours was nice. Yeah, 775. I was absolutely tickled pink. That was uh, um, wonderful. And Sean cracked his personal best at 840. Yes, well, yeah, Sean done very well. Um, yeah, so it was a, records tumbled and goats well, tumbled. Ev- everyone walked away with a record, didn't they? Yeah, so um, that was good. On on in some cases more than one gun. So, yeah, because <laughs> we were running records per gun, weren't we? So, that was right. Yeah, yeah, it was good. So um, anyway, we thought we should cap that off so that you know Greg wanted to make sure everyone knew that he shot beyond six hundred and thirty meters. Should I change it to yards to make <laughs> it sound better? Oh, <laughs> uh, one day. One day. Anyway, very good, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in. I keep the questions coming, and uh, we will actually um, aim to cap, uh, sort of redo that podcast about the the Brian Litz book. Um, but with we include with Andrew on the next one, despite him being in the room at the time and all that sort of gear. Anyway, I was here in body. You were here in voice, just not in the microphone voice. Yeah. Very good. Well, we won't put that one up, but we will re, uh, re-discuss that book, and um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks very much for listening, guys, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast. To continue the discussion, check out our Facebook page, and for more information, head to our website, www.precisionshootingpodcast.com.au. This episode was brought to you by Projectile Warehouse. Find your perfect projectile.